You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Chris Atfield, founder and coach at Cell Psyche. How are we doing today? Chris. I'm, I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Really looking forward to this conversation. Today, we will be speaking about mental health in sales and preventing burnout in the workplace. But before we get into the topic, Chris, it would be super good if you could introduce yourself and your company to our audience. Sure. My name is Chris Hatfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche. I always start with why I started Sales Psyche. Years ago now, like many people did, I fell into sales and recognized very early on I struggled a lot with anxiety. And at the time, mental health and even anxiety wasn't something that was really talked about much. So initially, I wanted to understand more about my own mindset, more about my own mental well-being and the psychology around it. And that led me sort of 13, 14 years later to just a couple of years ago now, setting up Sales Psyche with the idea of creating healthier and high-performing minds without the burnout. So we work with sales and commercial teams and leaders by providing confidential one-to-one sessions mini workshops and accredited programs to educate and provide more of a preventative and proactive approach to taking care of your mental well-being and your mindset. Out of interest, I don't know if you've got those stats, but out of the whole population of salespeople, do you think there is a fair percentage of professionals in, in the sales world that are actually suffering? Do you think it's affecting 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, 50% or even more of the population? I know that you probably don't have the exact data. But from your perspective, if you go to a team of, I don't know, you've got a client who have a team of 10 salespeople, how many of those 10 would probably raise their hand and say, you know what, Chris, I'm glad you are here. I've not been feeling well. I think that's a separate topic is who would feel comfortable raising their hand in the first place. And it's that's good to good. see yeah. more people are comfortable doing it. But 10 people in sales are 10 times more likely to struggle with their mental health. So it is a very high proportion. And, you know, two in three sales reps say they're close to have experienced burnout, which you mentioned at the start as well. So it is a very high proportion. And, and one of the big reasons behind that is the variables involved. You know, we're so constantly looking for security and, and being able to understand situations. It's what our primal brain will always look for is familiarity. And that's why we create habits and that's why we struggle with change. But of course, sales is an ever-changing landscape on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis. And all those variables are what can cause that feeling of uncertainty and, and that added anxiety, stress and, and overwhelm, which of course will contribute towards burnout. Yeah, super interesting. And you mentioned something that is actually super good about people need to come forward first. So, you know, for me, when I started in sales, I had a perception of sales that was very different from what sales is. But for me, when I stereotype was you've got to be strong minded, you need to be able to talk, articulate, you know, almost a stereotype of the wolf of Wall Street in a way, but maybe not as extreme as that. But you've got to be there. You've got to be out there. You've got to be good. You've got to take control of the conversation. I actually don't know if the best salespeople have all those attributes. Sometimes a good listener and some could also be a very good salesperson. But you mentioned about people coming forward. Do you think there is a fear of coming forward? Because that would kind of kill your stereotype of sales and being strong and, you know, strong-minded and solid and all that. And, and if so, how do you guys at Self Psyche break that rule so people actually feel comfortable to come forward and, and, and open up? So I'd like to understand why the issue from your perspective, but also how do you go, how do you overcome it when you meet with a client sales team? 
Yeah, I think there is the wider issue there. And of course, you know, you hear the phrase, oh, we've got an open door policy here more often now, but that isn't the point. It's not necessarily about having an open door policy and just expecting people to come to you when they're maybe not feeling themselves or are struggling with certain things or, or even more severe with their mental health. But it's also going, how do you walk through that door, first of all, as a leader, as an organization and start the conversation and make these topics and areas normal to talk about as if you would when you're talking about objection handling or when you're talking about prospecting or when you're talking about researching or questioning is like, how do you make that as much of a less of an elephant in the room as talking about dealing with burnout or dealing with stress or dealing with limiting beliefs? And when you think about, oh, no one's like, oh, I don't want to say I struggle with objections. Sometimes they might be, but they're like, oh, it's a, it's a given. Like everyone struggles with these objections. It's okay. And it's kind of like, well, that's the aim here is to get these kind of conversations. So I suppose to your second part of the question, how it comes very much from the leaders. It comes very much from the organization's point of view of, of not just doing something as a reactive point of view, but almost creating a space and an education. So for example, when you're onboarding people, how are you giving them the tools and the insights to understand that, hey, look, four or five weeks in or a couple of months in, you might start feeling like this or this might start happening. And if it does, that's okay. Come speak to me about it. But a lot of that stuff doesn't get spoken about. So people think that, well, I'm the odd one out, or maybe I'm not right for this company, or I'm not right for sales. The other challenge is that leaders don't feel comfortable talking about it because they don't want to say the wrong thing, or they think, you know, where's the line? I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained for these things. So, and also this feeling as a leader of well, what happens if someone tells me something and I can't support them, they're going to think I'm not a good manager or a good leader. So I won't even bring it up. So all those things there, and that in a nutshell comes down to getting people to recognize that when people are talking to you, particularly around their mindset and mental health, they're not expecting an answer. They're just expecting someone to listen. And it's okay not to always have the answers. You can still be an effective leader and manager in helping someone find those answers and support. But the big thing is being able to start that conversation and provide them with a space to better understand that their mindset and what's going on up there. Yeah, I think you're right about the listening. I fall in that trap. I felt in that trap many times where someone will come to me with an issue and instead of asking the question, okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to coach? Or do you want me to come up with a solution and try to fix? I would always go to, okay, let's fix. Let's do something, right? Let's do this, let's do that. That probably gave some of the worst advice in my life because I was not listening as, oh, I'll put you in that category. That's fine. This is what you should do. This is what I would do. But what mm. I would do for myself might not be what they want. And it's actually Richard Fifield who's helping us from a corporate finance perspective. We now kind of mentor me around all those things because he spent a lot of time coaching people and CEOs and things like that. We're telling me sometimes just listen, say nothing, refrain from, and you will see what people say. And I had the few times the conversation where people actually thank me at the end. They never thank me when I give them solutions and I jump in and say, all right, I don't have the time, but you should do that, 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 try that and let me know. They never come back to me. They never thank me. When you actually listen to people, they're like, ah, well, thank you. That was good. I feel better. You know, mm. it's, it's almost like getting off their chest. You mentioned something about the lack of training of leaders. And, and I think that's uh, maybe not the lack of training, but the lack of knowing what to do. Because I think in most organizations, there are people who are extremely well prepared to tackle mental illness and large organizations who are invested lots of money. But in a company like Operatics, we have some cases, but I don't think we train our people on how to deal with the situation. So I don't know if you can elaborate a little bit more in terms of 
tactically what can be done to our leaders with the right process or the right tools? Or is it something that you actually do at, at Sales Psyche? But I'd like for the sales leader or potentially marketing leaders or CEOs or whoever listening to us that would have a team to come out of that conversation with maybe a couple of things that they could implement mm -hmm. so they can be better with their team and you know show that they care, but also try to help if, if someone in their team isn't feeling well. Yeah, and I mean, I could probably talk for two or three hours on this, but I'll keep it quite succinct. I think it's funny, isn't it? You mentioned it at the start, maybe something you've experienced in the past where people come to you and you think, I'm just going to tell them. But sales leaders are very good at encouraging their teams to ask effective questions, to prospect, to look for the pain, to look for the challenge, but don't take their own medicine a lot of the time when it comes to their own team. They'll just tell them, like, this is what you want to do. This is what you need. And you'd think, would I want my sales team doing that? Or would I want my customer success team or whoever marketing team? Probably not. So I need to be thinking about, and this is probably the main thing to think about is how do I ask better questions? Yeah. Like not how do I give better advice, but how do I ask better questions? Because questions are not just about you understanding, it's helping other people understand themselves more effectively as well. So one of the most sort of tactical things is thinking about how do I start conversations in maybe my one-to-ones rather than just doing pipeline, talking about this or talking about a team meeting and at the end going, hey, hope everyone's okay is how do I change the conversation and some really effective questions. So rather than going, how are you in every one-to-one -one? and people go, oh, I'm not bad. I'm all right. I'm okay. You know, you hear it 15, 20 times a day. We've got this automated response to it. And a lot of the time we'll just think someone's asking it because it's formal and, and that's what we do. So changing the question to, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how have you been feeling recently? So if they say, oh, we're seven or eight, great. Like what is it that's making it a seven or eight for you? Or I feel about a three or a four. Okay, like, tell me a bit more. What's the reason behind that? If you're asking that consistently, you can start to spot, well, someone was an eight last week. There are seven, now there are six. Oh, actually, there's something going on here. What's changed? Like you said, you were an eight a few weeks ago. What's happened since? You know, what's going on? They might have started neglecting those things outside of work that actually help them manage it. That's the thing with sales, isn't it? A lot of the time, not much will change within the role, but it's probably we've started neglecting all the things outside of it that makes it feel even more overwhelming. So a scaling question is a good way of doing that. Asking people more specific questions, like how are you managing with the cost of living crisis, for example? Like, how are you adapting with that? Just like you would expect one of your team to ask a prospect, like, how are you dealing with this? Like, here's a bit of insight. So changing those questions can be a good thing. And also not jumping in with advice or, you know, this is what you need to do, but just giving them the space to think about it. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts around this? Or even like the R question and what else? So if they're saying like, this is what's going on right now. Okay. And what do you think that you could do differently? Or what do you think would work? Or what are one or two things that you can control right now? And just focusing on questions, there's a really good book, The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay, which is a really short read, but it's got some really nice questions in there. So as I said, I could cover tons of stuff around this, but I'd say questions is probably one of the most tactical ways to start. Yeah. You know, from a question perspective, one thing that I've tried is to ask, how are you twice? How are you really? Like, oh, you know, so you ask the question and people, hey, I'm fine. But really, seriously, how are you? How do you feel? Do you feel okay? Do you feel good? Do you think we support you? And then people open up the second time around and it's quite interesting. The what else is also very interesting. Mm. Um, in terms of sign that manager could spot, is there any specific pattern that people should look for? Because I still think that there are some people suffering in silence. I think it's still very taboo to say, look, you know what? I don't think I'm doing well. I'm not sleeping well. I'm feeling anxious about it. You know, I've seen some people who don't even go to the doctor to speak about those issues. They don't even try to go to the medical route to potentially solve some of their issues. So why would they go to the manager? 
to solve this mm -hmm. issue, right? Is there any specific sign that you think we should be looking for? And, and I'm not saying just for the managers. Yeah, I think it's more a question for the colleagues as well, because I think the colleagues yeah. could play a very important part, right? If John sitting next to me is not feeling right, and I realize that he's not feeling right, what do I do? Do I keep that to myself? Do I try to go to our managers and say, hey, look, I think we need to spend some time with him. So what are the signs we should be looking for in our colleagues? And do you think it's the right approach to go and try to proactively support them and then go to management to try to find a solution? So, you know, if my colleague is struggling, what should I do about it? And how do I define or identify the issue? Yeah, so there's, I suppose there's two or three parts to that, that yeah. question. I think the first part is the sign. So burnout doesn't just happen overnight. There are actually five stages to it. And the first stage is the honeymoon stage. And this is where it might often happen when someone starts a new role, it's a new financial year, it's a new year, they've just got a promotion. And this is where everything feels exciting. Like you're just going hell for leather. You're like, I'm loving life. I'm feeling really good. Maybe you've just had a really good quarter or a good year and you're not really paying attention. And, and on the face of it, to a manager, to an organization, you can look at that person and go, wow, this is like the model employee. Like they're hundred percent committed. And it's not saying don't do that because obviously that's what makes people successful, but it's also going and encouraging them to think about, is this sustainable in the long run? Like, how can you manage this? If you've had to work every weekend that quarter or every late night to be successful, people create limiting beliefs thinking that's what I need to do from now on in order to succeed. And I can't do anything else, otherwise I'm going to fail. So it's getting people early on to think about how they make things more sustainable. Some other signs are what you'll see if someone is starting to feel chronically stressed is over-engagement. So they'll be putting their hand up for everything. They'll probably be in the Slack channel, getting involved all day, going to every social, getting involved with all the conversations in the office and like super overly engaged in things. Whereas someone who's burnt out will be disengaged. They won't really be interacting on Zoom meetings. They'll sort of just be going in and out. They won't be hanging out with anyone after work. Chronic stress, you'll see emotions are quite overreactive. So people will be getting quite upset or angry or frustrated over what you might believe as quite small things or little things. Burnout, emotions are often quite blunted. So there won't be a reaction. You know, you might give someone some feedback or some news and maybe they haven't performed the previous quarter. And to you, it might look like initially or to a manager, they're not interested, they're not motivated, they're not right for the business anymore. It might be that they're burnt out. And when you're burnt out, your emotions are completely blunted. You don't really feel anything. And there's a real sense of sort of hopelessness and helplessness and apathy there as well, where someone will always criticize and look for a problem with every solution almost and start picking at things. So there's some signs to think about. I think to your second part of the question of what do you do when you notice that? I think recognize and always remind yourself just because you want to have the conversation, someone else might not want to yet. They might not have talked about it. So even if it's a colleague to colleague is just going like, hey, Ray, like I noticed that you maybe you haven't been yourself lately. So keep the language quite neutral. Don't be like, oh, you've been really quiet recently or you haven't been coming out because then straight away it's like they get defensive and like, oh, I've been found out. But obviously if you have a good relationship with them is like, you haven't seen yourself lately. Let me know if, if you want to have a chat at any point or if anything's been on your mind recently. Or maybe rather than making it the focal point of the conversation, maybe we'll, I'll say, do you want to go for lunch? Or do you want to go for a walk at lunch? Or, or do you want to go and do a, a fitness class after work? So don't think you have to make all oh, the topic of their mental health, the topic of the conversation, because doing yeah. an activity with them, going for a walk will probably help that naturally come out anyway. So there's some things to think about really. Another thing I think that can help with this and organizations can try and encourage to implement is something what I call like a mental health buddy. So rather than what happens is 10 or 15 times a day, you get asked, how are you? And sometimes people might ask again, but you might get defensive because you don't want to tell them if they're your manager or if there's someone else. And a better way of doing this is to almost encourage people 
in the organization to go, look, pick someone you see in the office regularly or on Zoom calls regularly on Google Meet, whatever it might be, and give them permission. So if it was, if I asked you, Ray, I might say, Ray, if, if you notice maybe I haven't been myself recently or you notice I'm a little bit quieter in the office or not getting involved in what I usually do, do you mind just dropping me a message or coming over to me? Now, this works for a few reasons. One, I've given you permission. So I don't feel defensive because I've initiated that contact. I've said, hey, look, you can come to me. I feel more in control of it. Two, you're more likely to do it proactively rather than that bad day becoming a week, becoming a month. You'll instantly do it. So straight away, I can catch myself. And three, I then become more comfortable talking about it in a sort of less severe way rather than letting it build up. And it probably also increases my level of awareness of, oh, actually, I didn't really notice I wasn't myself today. Do you know what? This happened this morning. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah. And how can manager, because in a sales environment, you still have to, in a way, promote the winner mindset. And it's a competitive environment. It's highly paid. And, you know, there's still a very much a lot of competition. And some of the good ones are actually quite competitive and want to be on top. So how can you promote that sort of winning mindset in your sales team without putting pressure on salespeople or bringing the ones that are not great even further down? Yeah, well, I think one thing I always talk about here is some people have this perception. Imagine there's two scales. And on one side, you've got vulnerability and the other side, you've got accountability. Yeah. And there's this misconception of, well, the more vulnerable we are, the more encouragement of vulnerability, the less accountable we make people. That's not the case. They can both coexist. You can both be vulnerable and still accountable. And the point is, as an organization, what every organization should try and get to is we're not saying that we expect you to come in every day and just give 50% or, you know, if you're not in the right headspace, not to work for a number of days. But it is saying when you do feel like that, we have a space where you can talk to us or it's okay to feel like that because you're not always going to feel in the right headspace. So it's not saying we are letting people off or saying that no one has to sort of, you know, drive or push themselves. It's just saying when you maybe aren't in that situation, whether something's going on in life or in your own mind, that's okay. And we're here to talk about it and we're here to support you. And that in itself will build that relationship, that kind of connection with people as well because that's what vulnerability does. And if leaders are also sharing, hey, this is my experience, but here's my solution. Here's what I'm doing about it, or here's what I did. It also gives people a path forwards. Mm -hmm. And is there a solution that the workplace can put in place? So let's say you've identified burnout. You've got a few people in your team that are getting to that point or already there. What's next? How do you help those people? How do you pick them up? Yeah, well, I think... You know, obviously there's the education piece you talked about from leaders. Yeah. I think also in an ideal world, it's probably catching this before it gets to that point mm. and doing things proactively, just like you would with sales training, just like you would with all those things. You don't just wait until, oh, look, we're not hitting target. Like you don't just go and then work on objections or prospecting, or you don't just then look at your marketing strategy. You're like doing that proactively because you're like, oh, we're doing well still, but let's keep looking at how we can improve. And it's thinking, let's try and get to that place with our mental health and well-being. If you have got to that point, and at the moment, and it is a bit more reactive, then it is making sure, do you have the right channels and space for people to get that support? Do you have counseling and therapy services? Do you have, again, the leaders feeling comfortable? And, you know, not trying to plug sales psyche too much here, but we do like a stress and burnout prevention CPD accredited course for leaders to give them the tools and the understanding of exactly that as well. And the one-to-ones we do is also that kind of space. It's coaching, it's not therapy or counseling. So it is that proactive, bit like using a personal trainer at the gym, coming in and talking to someone. So whether that's ours or someone else, it's just giving people that space and that education and understanding around it. Okay, so training. Let's talk a little bit more about what you do, guys, because I know you introduce why, Psyche, you just 
briefly went into what you do. But I think it's interesting to understand what your solution exactly is. You have like different modules in the solution. Can you just take a couple of minutes to take us through that? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's three or four ways we support companies. So we do one-to-one confidential days, which are one-to-one coaching sessions. Anyone in the go-to-market team can book one of these and no one in the business knows they've booked them. No one knows what they've talked about and they can come in and talk about dealing with limiting beliefs, imposter syndrome, becoming more mindful of their energy and burnout prevention, tackling procrastination, perfectionism, all these things that can kind of exist and become blockers as well to develop that high performance and healthier mind. So again, because it's proactive, it's not just about we're here to fix a problem. It's also about marginal gains. We also provide morning mindset sessions twice a week that are 10 or 15 minutes long with some anchoring exercises and tools, like some of the things I've talked about today in them. And then also the CPD accredited courses that delve a bit deeper and allow people to meet other leaders or other individuals from other organizations on them. And at the moment, we've got one around stress and burnout prevention, handling imposter syndrome, and protecting and developing your mindset, which is all around limiting beliefs and resilience. Wonderful. Well, thanks for your insight. If anyone wants to pick up the conversation with you or even, you know, engage with self psyche and see how you could help them and get on board, we spoke about the training, we spoke about some of the different things you are doing. What's the best way to get hold of you, Chris? Yeah. So LinkedIn, I'm very active on there. Chris Hatfield on there or the website for Cell Psyche is cellpsychepsyche.co.uk. And also I have my own podcast, Hey Psyche, How Do I, which is short, sharp, five, 10 minute episodes all around mindset, mental wellbeing and psychology hacks as well. Ah, I'd have to check that out. Well, look, in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Ray, for having me. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.